Hi, welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. This week's episode is actually hosted by my colleague Sammy, and we did have, unfortunately, some internet gremlins on this recording. First time they've hit us, really, on this podcast, but uh, they definitely gave us a hard time today. Uh, I've done my best to edit the audio, so hopefully it will flow reasonably well for you, but just please bear with us uh, as you go through this one, and uh, please enjoy. I think you'll find it a very informative episode. Over to you, Sammy. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Meraki Unbox podcast. It's episode number 51, if you can believe it. My name is Sammy Brenner. I will be your host taking you through the episode today. Extremely excited to introduce you to our guest, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But firstly, welcome back. It's Friday, so I am looking forward to the weekend. This is my reminder for all of you who are listening out there. If you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button. We're releasing new content about every two weeks. Tell your friends, tell your family how amazing this podcast is. We want to make sure it is getting into the ears of everyone. So thank you for that shameless plug there. And let's get into the meat of it today. We have a very special guest. Her name is Jessica Gilbert, and she is actually the head of inclusion and collaboration at Meraki. A little bit of background on Jessica. She's actually been doing this work in DNI, which stands for diversity and inclusion, in the field for years and years. She's actually to us from Johnson & Johnson, where she spent 10 years there working on this team. Uh, she held the title of Global Diversity and Inclusion Leader for that company. And then back in June of 2019, she came over to the Meraki side of the house. And that's actually where I met her initially for the first time. And uh, she had a couple months pre-pandemic with us at HQ in the office. And that's where I met her. We had lunch. We chatted at the coffee bar and I loved her energy and I think she's going to be the most fantastic guest. So without further ado, Jessica, welcome. Well, thank you, Sammy. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to be able to talk about diversity and inclusion with your guests. Yay. Well, thank you for being here. I think uh, it's no surprise. This is a extremely relevant topic and, uh, you know, everyone's talking about it right now. So to give our listeners a lens into what Meraki is doing when it comes to DNI and the greater Cisco, I'm super excited to do that today. So let's start from the beginning. I mean, tell us a little bit about your background and, and why did you choose to get into the field of DNI? That's a great question, Sammy. And you're going to laugh, but the way I usually start this story is I say, my mother blames Sesame Street. And that, really and truly, really and truly, she. I was a little girl. She sat me down in front of Sesame Street, and I started learning Spanish from Maria. And really, from that exposure, I developed this fascination with people who were different from me. And that's really become my passion. I am all about how do we learn more about individuals from different cultures, different backgrounds, and how do we really connect folks across differences because we have so much in common. Yeah, so that, that's how I got my start. I started very, very young, uh, you yeah. know, even in terms of the books that I used to love to read. Uh, there was this collection of folk tales from different cultures, different countries. And then from there, I really just started uh, learning other languages, Spanish, French. It was all about connecting to other people. And when I went to university, I actually wanted to be a diplomat. 
But what I discovered is I liked seeing multiple sides. I didn't want to advocate for just one side. And through my studies, I discovered the field of cross-cultural communication and uh, went on to pursue a graduate degree in that area. And from there, my career is a little bit backwards because I started doing independent work and then got into more of the corporate side, being internal, uh, doing consulting. And that's really what led me to uh, Johnson & Johnson. Got it. Okay. Very interesting that even from such a young age, you kind of felt called to this line of work. And that's a good way of putting it. And a lot of people do feel that calling. I call what I do not just my vocation, but it's really my avocation as well. Oh, I love that. So that leads me to my next question. You know, you started not initially in the corporate side, but you came to us from Johnson & Johnson, where you held multiple diversity and inclusion roles. I'm curious to know more about that experience. I mean, is there anything that really surprised you working for that organization or developing your skill set? Mm -hmm. So Johnson & Johnson is an amazing organization, just like Cisco, extremely values-driven. And that was a great experience because in this really large organization, I was able to move around and experience, in many respects, different businesses, different industries, working in pharmaceutical business, working with medical devices, working with the corporate functions, and then before taking on a role that was really across the entire enterprise. What's really interesting about that kind of work and the growth in Johnson & Johnson is in many respects, it similar to having multiple careers in the organization. And that's what's great about working with larger organizations, whether it's a Johnson & Johnson or Cisco, you can move around without really leaving the organization. And what was really wonderful about working at Johnson & Johnson is that I got to do this work around the world. Uh, literally from Japan uh, and Singapore to Belgium and the UK to Brazil and Mexico. I literally had the opportunity to travel the world in the work that I was doing. And what you find in that is that while some of the focuses may be different uh, because of the makeup of the country, Everybody, no matter where you go, they want to have this sense of belonging. I want to feel like I'm seen, that I'm heard, and that I'm valued, and that I have a chance to contribute to the mission of the organization. Oh, that's powerful. You know, my question for you, my follow-up question was going to be, you doing this work globally, right? Japan, Brazil, UK, you know, all over the world. Is it different, you know, depending on cultures, things they value, you know, within DNI versus the US? But to your point, you said that one common thread was, I want to feel seen, which I think is so powerful. Uh, it is. And anytime you go into another country, another organization, even, 
It may be an aspect of ethnicity. Immigration may be something that we're focusing in on. And how do we ensure that we are building an organization that reflects the everybody in the country that we're doing business? I might use the word race and ethnicity here in the United States, but I may use a different expression in, let's say, the UK. But ultimately, it's how do we create a conscious culture where everybody feels valued, everybody can contribute, and everybody can thrive. Mm-hmm. That's hugely important. And that leads me to my next question for you. How do we create a conscious culture? And I know that that's something that Meraki has had a huge focus on, especially I think since you came on. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your responsibilities and priorities are when it comes to leading DNI efforts at Meraki and and creating that inclusive culture? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I love this work because quite honestly, my days are not the same. I can go from being a data analyst with my head buried in numbers to being a futurist about what is the future of work going to look like when we begin the transition back into the office post uh, COVID. Sometimes I'm a strategist, and if I want to get to point A, how do I build the steps into the organization, into our processes, so that we can get to that point? I'm a communicator, I'm an advocate, and I'm a coach to senior leaders. But ultimately, diversity and inclusion, building that inclusive, collaborative environment is not just my responsibility. And I think that's really an important thing to think about because it isn't just about the work of a diversity and inclusion department. It's not even just about executives. Just create in our everyday interactions. That's what conscious culture is. And so what we're doing, one of the things we're focusing in on at Meraki is to help folks understand what does that look like? Uh, And I worked with a group of global Moroccans in the form of our inclusion leadership team. This is one of our key projects that we're working on. And we defined five key behaviors that we wanted to drive to build that conscious culture, that inclusive culture at Meraki. And we are driving leader-led conversations about those behaviors throughout the organization. And so that's one aspect. From there, I may go into a senior leadership team meeting to talk about the data, the the makeup of the organization. What are the trends that I'm seeing? Where do we need to focus our attention? How do we link uh, the work that we're doing with talent acquisition to grow so that we are addressing any of the gaps that we may be seeing in the organization? How do we create that kind of strategy whereby we are attracting applicants, where we're creating a great interview experience and ultimately bringing them on board in a way that makes them feel valued and welcome? Mm -hmm. I want to point out something that you said that really resonated with me. Inclusion is our everyday actions. It's not a person. It's not a team. It's not just the executives. It is every single employee making that you know conscious decision to be inclusive in you know the actions. And I think that that is powerful. It, it, you know, one person can't create 
that change in an organization, right? It needs to be an effort of a greater team, right? Yeah, when you think about it, Sammy, I mean, for the last, what, almost 18 months, we've all been virtual. And so, Mm -hmm. so many times organizations think about the culture as being what happens in the office. The perks, like the amazing barista that used to come to visit Meraki offices, the lunches that we offer, the foosball tables that uh, individuals can use. And those are all great and they're fun, but ultimately culture is not about what happens inside of four walls. It is about what happens when we talk to each other, when we engage on a daily basis. And that happens regardless of whether we are in the office or outside of the office. And I think that's one of the lessons that we've learned over the past challenging 18 months is that we can create a culture without all being in the same office. And when you look, especially in the tech industry, where many organizations start out very small and you've got that startup mentality and focus on, well, we're all in the same office. I can just go over around the corner and talk to you if I've got a question. With this new virtual world, it's about being very intentional about creating those moments of connection that used to happen in an office. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, that is so powerful, Jessica. Culture isn't about what happens inside of four walls. And I think to your point, look at the past year and even these new hires that are coming on who've never stepped foot in a Meraki office or headquarter or a Cisco office say, Meraki magic is real. There is something mm-hmm. special about this organization and they're virtual. Right. So I think it just goes to show, you know, the the culture that we have created already. Yeah. You look at the amazing work that our employee resource organizations have done and really being virtual has allowed them to expand their audience to folks, uh, for example, in the sales organization who may be sitting in remote locations or formally in a client site they weren't able to necessarily participate. But now through the grace of WebEx, we are able to engage with them and give them the opportunity to participate and to learn. Right, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good call out. I want to transition here and talk about, you know, the work that we're doing at Meraki and that you're spearheading and how it plays into the greater Cisco DNI story and the efforts they have going on at Cisco. I mean, you know, Meraki kind of feels like a startup within a massive organization, if you will, and we're supported by Cisco. How do you work cross-functionally with the greater Cisco organization? How do you scale what you're doing at Meraki outside? One of my superpowers, if you will, is that I never learned how to play in my own sandbox. So I love crossing organizational, let's call them boundaries, if you will. And so there is an amazing inclusion and collaboration community across all of Cisco around the world. And we interact virtually, we interact intentionally, and we share what we're doing. 
because we always know that we can learn from each other and consult with each other. And that's powerful. That's powerful. When you look at how we scale work, it's a lot about digitization and how do we make the materials that we create? How do we make the programs that we create replicable. That's a tongue twister for you. Uh, Digitization is one of those ways. So I look at something, we're talking a lot about sponsorship at Cisco and at Meraki. Well, Cisco has built amazing tools and made them available to not just Meraki, honestly, but all of their ecosystem as well through a great website called multipliediversity.com. And when you talk about the multiplier effect and the resources to support that and how you track it, it we are doing that through this website. And so I, as an individual, don't have to go and you create something, I can leverage the tools that Cisco has built. When you continue that conversation, it's also about how do we build these resources into our systems? So for example, when we're talking about our talent processes, whether you're talking talent acquisition, whether you're talking about pay parity, we're able to lean on the work and the resources that Cisco has built and brought into the organization in order to ensure that we are doing the right things and creating the inclusive processes at Meraki. And so whether I'm pulling in from Cisco or whether I am sharing what we're doing at Meraki with Cisco, it is a back and forth. Now, ultimately, when you look at what we're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to build that more inclusive future for all, which is Cisco's purpose, we look at the data. We use data in order to drive our strategies. And since Meraki is part of Cisco, by basing the decisions and the strategies that I prioritize here at Meraki in order to address what our data is telling us, it rolls up into Cisco and the Cisco action plans in order to deliver those results across the entire organization. Got it. Okay, that's super interesting and really amazing to know that you can lean on that network, right, to scale and you don't have to reinvent the wheel for things that you want to do. Jessica, I want to ask you, and I'm glad that you called this out, you know, include behaviors start with language, right? That's a big part of it. And you posted an article this week on LinkedIn that I loved, and I wanted to ask you about it. It was called, guys is not a gender neutral term. Let's stop using it like it is. And I read the article and I thought it was so interesting. And I wanted you to give us some color, provide context around why language is so important and why even maybe using the word guys could offend someone or isn't inclusive. Can you explain that a little bit more to us? You know, language has power. When we say that, it is really about how do we invite people in? How do we create that sense of belonging? I also think that this is an example of how diversity and inclusion as a field, as a practice, really continues to evolve. Because the challenge to everyone is how do we become more conscious about how our words and our actions, however well-intentioned, 
may inadvertently be causing the folks that we work with to feel invisible. In the case of this word guys, those that are female or those whose gender identity does not conform to a binary, it can unintentionally cause people to feel excluded. And we're not talking about political correctness. Let me be clear. I really hate that whole idea of politically correct because it has served as an excuse for not having very real conversations because people are afraid of saying or using the wrong word. And and we don't want to stop folks from engaging in, in the conversation. But it's about getting curious and listening and then challenging ourselves to act as better allies. Look, I grew up in New Jersey. You know, we grew up saying use guys. It is an expression that a lot of people did grow up using. But it's recognizing that the whole concept of gender as being a binary has evolved. And it is now viewed more as a gender spectrum. And especially for the newest generation who viewed gender as more fluid. It's important to think about how are we welcoming folks in, whether it's through the language that we use, the activities that we choose to engage in in order to create that sense of team. You know, scheduling a trip to the bar at the end of the day may seem like a lot of fun, but folks have responsibilities after work, whether that might be children or pets or parents, or, you know, they themselves may not drink, may not feel comfortable in a bar situation. So how are we building those opportunities in ways that are inclusive for everybody? Mm -hmm. As a people leader myself, right, a frontline manager, it's important to think about the bigger picture. And to your point, everyone has a different situation. Folks have different family dynamics. How can we get curious about being inclusive, whether it's the events we're planning or the language we're using, or even just owning it as a leader and saying, I'm probably not going to get everything right, but I'm trying. If something doesn't land, please tell me, right? Because sometimes we often don't even know if you know, someone is offended or, or doesn't love, you know, a word we used maybe. I guess my question is, you know, how do we as leaders or, you know, people at an organization who just want to do better, what are ways to go about it to be more curious or to start these conversations with our teams? Thank you, Sammy, for being a consciously inclusive leader. Because that whole idea, vulnerability that you just raised about being willing to admit, you know, I'm going to mess up. I don't know, but I want to do better. Please help me. Research has shown that that vulnerability actually goes such a long way into creating an inclusive environment. So to admit or to be willing to say, you know, Either I messed up or I don't know, can you help me? It really sets a, that inclusive tone within your team. So, so kudos to you for that. I do want to recognize that. 
So let's look at this in, in two ways about this idea of getting curious. It's about opening your mind and being willing to learn. You know, we talk about an agile organization. We talk about agile leadership. We talk about creating a learning mindset or a growth mindset. And it really does start with this. It's about, you know, recognizing what you don't know and being willing to learn and continue to grow as a leader, as an individual. And so taking that time to educate yourself, whether that is looking in the mirror and exploring where you may have uh, your own personal biases, because we all have biases, that's a great start. I also say, the second thing I say is, how are you getting proximate or connecting to different lived experiences. How are you broadening your network so that you're not surrounded by people who are just like you? I think for a leader, especially as you're building teams, that's such an important thing to think about because genius knows no zip code, but it's really, really easy to recognize genius when it looks, acts, sounds, and comes up the same exact path that you did. So what are you doing to look and connect with those different perspectives, those different paths by surrounding yourself with different individuals, people coming from different backgrounds? Being with a team that is just like you and thinks the same way you do, it feels good. But you want to know something when it comes to creating innovative solutions to solving challenging problems you will find so much better answers, so much more innovation when you think with people who think differently than you. And there is a ton of research to back that up as well. Finally, the only other thing I will add for you as an individual, whether you're a leader, whether you are just a peer, a team member, it's about acting as an ally. Speak up when you see things that feel less than inclusive. Or when you see a colleague that maybe it had been trying to get a word in edgewise, but they're being ignored and you notice their body language, even on camera, all of a sudden they've gotten quiet, they've sat back, they've got their arms crossed now. And it's, you can almost see them throw up their hands and say, why am I even trying? How can you act as an ally in that moment and speak up on behalf of that individual or for yourself? Because in order for anybody to get better, you have to recognize and you have to realize when you've made a misstep. And we're all going to make those missteps. But if somebody doesn't necessarily point it out, we may not know. And we can't change if we don't. Yeah. So that's yep. for an individual. A lot to say about that. <laughs> yes, Jessica, that was mind blowing. And I have some notes here and I want to reiterate my favorite takeaways just for our listeners, you know, being able to recognize you don't know what you don't know, right? Maybe examining or exploring your own personal bias. And I think the most important is act as an ally, right? Speak up, hold each other accountable, no one's perfect. We're not here to, you know, get it right the first time. We're here to learn. And once we know better, we can do better, right? Yeah. And I do really want to emphasize that idea of proximity, that idea of broadening your network as well, Sammy, because yes. when you think about 
how human nature works. I won't get into the neuroscience of this. Uh, this is not, not, oh, man. I'm not going to get too technical on you. But, you know, in many respects, when something is different or someone is different, there is this concern or worry. But the way you break down those barriers between even different ideological groups is how do we get proximate to each other? How do I take a moment and try and put myself in your shoes or look at things from your perspective? And you take a look at things from my perspective. And we can only do that if we can create that connection, if we talk to each other. And so growth in diversity and becoming more inclusive, it's really easy if we're all alike, but let's continue to work to build bridges, cross those barriers, whatever phrase you want to use and get to know folks who are different from each other. Absolutely. That's a huge one. And I had that in my notes and read right over it. I'm glad you circled back on that. Because it's, it's a team. True. It's a team, right? It's a group effort. But I can say, honestly, as a people leader, diverse thought, people who have different backgrounds, people who don't look alike, when we come together, the ideas are better, right? And you do see your blind spots and people are thinking of things you would have never thought of. And, you know, the perspective is different because we all have different lived experiences. So mm-hmm. absolutely, that is paramount. And this is also why it's important as organizations as well to not just focus on diversity, but also on that inclusion piece because it is great to have diversity, but in order to create that exponential value, you've got to add inclusion, inclusive leadership as the catalyst, because that's what sets it on fire, really and truly, because we're listening. We're listening to each other. We're learning from each other. Mm -hmm. And when you feel included, you want to stay right? You want to work harder for the company you're at. You feel seen to your point earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Diversity might get someone, you know, in the door, but inclusion is ultimately what builds culture. So let's transition. And then I got two more questions for you. I've had so much fun. I want to highlight a little bit about what Meraki is doing in terms of our strategic partnerships. And mm-hmm. I know we have a couple cool ones. So for our listeners out there, can you tell us, first of all, what are strategic partnerships? And programs do we have going on at Meraki right now? Sure. So when we talk about strategic partnerships in the inclusion and collaboration space and diversity and inclusion, it's really about how do we create relationships with organizations that, in this case, uh, the ones that I'm going to point out are really about ensuring that we have an inclusive talent pipeline. How are we ensuring that we're building an inclusive future by bringing in different sources of talent? And so there are two that we've formed as part of Meraki and also as part of Cisco. The one, the first one, the one that's a little bit that we started this year or earlier this financial year, I should say, is with Breakline, which is an amazing organization that helps bring individuals and folks from different backgrounds into the tech space. They originally started out as an organization that was working with veterans who were coming out of the military 
and helping them transition into the, the corporate world. And so they have a program also that uh, diverse individuals who are really looking to get into the tech industry from other spaces. And with our partnership with Breakline, we've had some amazing hires. We've been able to bring in talent we wouldn't have necessarily seen before in a very thoughtful and impactful way. So really excited about that partnership. The other partnership that we have joined in on as part of of our work with Cisco and the larger enterprise networking and cloud organization under Todd Nightingale is called Acrya. And Acrya focuses on bringing women who have been out of the workforce for a while back into the workforce. And when we look at the research and the results, the impact that COVID has had on women in women's employment, we know that uh, women have been disproportionately uh, impacted and diverse women even more so in terms of employment loss or uh, really being hit by having the care for their families, care, uh, whether that's their kids, their parents, but also women uh, are disproportionately in some of those frontline roles, customer service oriented roles, that those jobs that have been lost as a result of so many shutdowns. But this is a really focused on how do we get those individuals, those women back into the workplace. And I'm so excited that Meraki is going to be able to be part of this larger Cisco partnership in order to have an impact on women here in the United States and ensuring that they get back into the working world. And then we also look at strategic partnerships and conferences and how do we use them as a means to help our own individuals here at Meraki develop, as well as looking at ways that we can get to know and connect with great talent that's out there that we might not see otherwise. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for kind of diving into that for us. And you're pulling at my heartstrings here with the Acrya partnership and getting women back into the workforce. And I'm glad you called that out because COVID has absolutely disproportionately affected women, right? Who were dropping out at a much higher rate than men. So that really warms my heart to hear that we have uh, strategic partnerships around that program. Jessica, I'm going to go ahead and ask one more question and wrap it up today. Thank you so much for joining, by the way. I have a notebook full of notes and I can't wait to talk to my team about this discussion. For those listeners out there who are feeling very motivated by this conversation, who want to do more, who want to show up and try to create more inclusive cultures, you know, regardless of where they sit in their organization, right? They could be an SVP down to an individual contributor. What are some ways that they can start doing that that don't feel too overwhelming, right? What are some bite-sized ways that we can all contribute and make each of our work environments a more inclusive, diverse place? Oh, what a great question. What I would say is see what exists in your organization. For example, many organizations have employee resource groups, employee, we call them employee resource organizations. Some folks call them affinity groups. That is a great step, no matter what your level, to get involved and support because it provides an opportunity for you to get close to talent if you're senior that you might not have met before. 
If you're an individual contributor, it provides you an opportunity to broaden your own network, to learn. If you get involved as a leader, it also allows you to develop your own leadership skills. Uh, Secondly, I would say also for those of you especially that are people leaders or more senior, I would look at who you are sponsoring. Who is it that you advocate for their careers? And are you advocating for individuals that are different from you? Or are you only advocating for mini-me's? So go check out multiplydiversity.com to learn more about sponsorship and uh, the impact that it can have on individuals' careers. Because you as a leader, think about who you are sponsoring. And of course, mentoring is a gateway to sponsorship or it can be a gateway to sponsorship. And that's something that everybody can uh, engage with. So who are you sponsoring? Who are you, you mentoring? And then finally, I will say, Act as an ally. As you continue to learn more about diversity, about inclusion, about how bias can impact and show up in an organization, how is it that you are acting as an ally and helping folks feel valued and respected and heard? Make sure that you're sharing the credit for ideas and not taking credit for ideas, for example. Uh, Making sure uh, correct attribution for ideas is one way that you can act as an ally. And, you know, most of all, speak up when you see something that doesn't feel right, because silence is implied consent. So let me stop there. I can go on and on. (laughs) I think that is the perfect note to end on. This was such an insightful conversation, Jessica, and thank you for sharing your wisdom. You're clearly a pro at your craft, and I've learned so much today, and I think it's so beautiful that you even called out, like, D&I in general, and this whole field is evolving, right? And we're always going to be learning, and there's always going to be more work to do, but awareness and a commitment to the work and taking small steps to get started we can all do that, right? You've made it very digestible. So thank you again. Thank you. Okay, folks, we're going to wrap it up. Another wonderful episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. One last plug, if you haven't already done it, go ahead and subscribe, tell all your friends about it. Uh, New content is being released just about every two weeks. It was a pleasure taking you through the diversity and inclusion conversation today. Sammy Brenner, signing out. Take care.